So, hi, here's Florian with a new podcast guest. So I would say introduce yourself. Thank you for, for talking to me. My name is Clara, Clara Sucher. I'm 33 years old now, living in Berlin since 2006. So quite a long time that I've been living here in Berlin now. Yeah. And right now we sit in uh, my office, which is not only my office, but um, I share it with some other people. And it's the base of uh, my company, Unlearn. Yeah. What does your company do? With Unlearn, we consult individuals and organizations um, who want to transform. So that's a passion of mine. And I'm really happy that I can spend my working time uh, looking at change and uh, more than change, a transformation and work on these issues with other people. So, change to what? <laughs> where, where, to, what's the end result of a change? Of course, there's no general answer to that. And um, actually, we're, we're now in the middle of the first uh, question already. And um, that's what's the difference between change and transformation? Yeah. Because I mentioned both. And to me, there is a difference between, between, between the two terms. Change, if I talk about change, it would be something more linear, more coming from the present state. So I'm here right now. I want to change something about what's here right now. Mm -hmm. And that would be the driver for, for change very often. Whereas in transformation, often the impulse for development comes from the wish to really be something very different. Um, so I can't reach that different point by just working step by step from where I am right now, but I need some imagination and some ideas that might be situated in the future. Mm. And then I can get there either in a kind of slow way or in a very rapid way sometimes. So it's a different um, energy that's contained in the two terms. So many changes resulting in a transformation? Um, many, I'd say yes, I'd say many. But not all. Some changes can just be minor changes and uh, you can be like recognized or the situation is still similar to the situation as it was before. Okay. For example, if I just put a new table into this room, it would be a change, but not a transformation, I guess. But if I um, changed something about the architecture, um, put in a larger window or um, tore out a wall, then the atmosphere of the entire room might be so different that you'd say it is a different room and then that would be more transformational. So it's a, it's a, it's a measure of difference, so how much like how much the difference is from the before. And if there's a new energy behind it or like a new... Yeah, yeah, you could, you could yeah. put it that way. Yeah. Okay. So, but still on organization-wise or human-like or person-wise, uh, what's then the goal? Like you need to have some target mm -hmm. you want to change to or transform to. So yeah. what's the normal target or goal organizations or people set themselves? It really depends entirely on, on the situation that people find themselves in. But there are some patterns that occur and I think they are due to the societal developments that we face ourselves in right now. So um, many organizations these days want to change or transform, depending on where they are right now, 
um, towards a more agile way of working or a more self-organized way of working. So, for example, if um, a company is working in kind of normal, still normal hierarchies um, with very limited responsibilities for each individual in the company, they might now um, understand that in order to really be successful and to deliver like high quality service or products to their clients or customers, then they need to fundamentally change or even transform the whole culture and, and way of working. And yeah. that's a situation I encounter quite often. So what's the size of the companies you work with normally? <laughs> so starting from very small teams, four people, um, up to areas or branches within the company. Okay. So um, the largest company I work with right now, they have 5,000 employees here in Germany. But the um, team I work with is just limited. It's one area within the company and there are about 70 employees in that, in that area. So is their only goal to change this, this department of them or do they want to change the whole organization? In that case, we, we really focus on the department. They want to change their way of working together. It's actually one of the examples that, that fits um, what I said before. They want to become more self-organized. Um, but of course, there, there are connections to the rest of the company. So they are service providers within their company and um, the, the work they do within their context must still function. So they cannot just change for themselves and ignore the surroundings they're in. But they have to see, okay, how do we make sure that um, our working together um, with the other areas of this company is, uh, will still be functional. But the focus is on, on that team itself. So you do with them agile workshops, implement with them a Scrum process, and then they just work in Scrum? Or how you go about that? Uh, no, actually not. It, it's quite different. Um, we started to work very clearly about, uh, on the goal and the content of the change and the transformation. So the, the question is, why do you want to do that? because there can be very different reasons behind wanting to have a self-organized um, team. So, so why do you want to do that? And what do you mean by all that? Like if, if you couldn't use the word self-organization, how would you describe your goals then, right? In that way, yeah. that, that's how we started. And then a uh, more important question, does the management area want that or the people want that? Well, yeah. Like another thing, if your, your boss says, yeah, we want to have that or the people... Mm -hmm. like all the people on the team said yeah yeah we want to have a change yeah so how is it normally is it just from the from the head from the top driven or is it for example this this case is it mm -hmm. also like more from the, the whole team yeah so very often the impulse for 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 these changes comes from the management level because yeah. and, and that's quite normal because they work on the strategic questions they have the bigger picture And in that case, um, they realized, okay, we need to have our whole team on board and we want everybody to develop this capacity of thinking uh, in a bigger picture and making strategic decisions. Uh, and it's clear that it can only work if the employees understand the reasons and think they're good reasons um, and put themselves behind these goals and are um, at least, first of all, open to look at what it all means. 
and um, willing to change in the end because that's that's where it becomes as tricky as beautiful in organizational development when changing uh, an organizational structure or way of working it always means that people will change as well otherwise it won't work so i can of course introduce a new tool a new way of doing a meeting But if people don't buy into the values that underlie these new tools, then after some month or half a year, the experiment will just stop. Mm-hmm. So I've seen that not in my own work, but in like in my network quite often during the last years that, for example, teams started to work with um, holocratic um, yeah, methods. And um, when... I'd say I'd come back to change and transformation. I believe when managers thought this is just a change, we just change something, it's just a tool, we just do it small scale, then these experiments or um, or projects failed. Um, but if people understand that in order to realize this new way of working together, people need to fundamentally transform and develop a new mindset look at each other, at themselves, at their place within the work in a different way, then they can really be um, successful and very beautiful because uh, a lot of potential shows up that has been hidden before. Yeah, one one of the main issues in this whole new work stuff and so on is that like it should be driven by a problem or by pain, not by because it sounds cool or yes. management got the idea, hey, we should be more... Um, self-dependence um, so and that's like and I, I can imagine for management it makes sense to say okay more power to the people and mm-hmm. because they know a lot of stuff better than we do but if you then down on the on the service level like okay then it is a big question to the employee has a problem right now with the actual situation mm-hmm. and if they don't then it's hard to make the change there Like you need to open their eyes for the problem or for the pain or like explore their problem or their pain and then they have a motivation to change. And I can imagine that that's a quite a challenge, right? Like it, it depends on organization. But um, if you have a well, um, well-run organization, it can only work, also work in hierarchy. You know, mm-hmm. if, if your boss cares for you, this is also possible in a stronger hierarchy. Mm-hmm. Um I can imagine. So what would you say there or what do you do there? Yeah, I agree that hierarchies can work perfectly well yeah. and it just depends on the context and the needs that the organization really faces. So um, the, the uh, one big driver behind moving towards more self-organization is um, that teams want to or need to answer to their clients' demands faster. And that's a big difference between self-organized team and more hierarchical teams because if the leadership becomes a bottleneck in decision-making, then that slows things down. Whereas often the people who do the actual work have a good idea about which decision is the most suitable, is the best decision. 
but sometimes they will be afraid to make that call and yeah. to, to take that decision because um, they're just not used to it. They're used to having this safety mechanism that um, are part of hierarchy. So even if it makes sense and even if um, uh, somebody on the working level um, understands, okay, this is too slow. They might just want to make their boss. <laughs> uh, they might just want their boss to make a faster decision, a decision faster, uh, and not to decide themselves, right? So, so there can be some some conflicts um, around that, or just different answers to the same problem. There is not just one answer to any problem. There can be many answers, and then the question is um, like facing the whole range of uh, questions, of um, problems that an organization faces right now, what's the most suitable solution mm. for that? Yeah. Mm. And that's the question if you imagine like uh, management wants to have a people like with a fast decision and their own decision, but what's their, des what's their desire? Like it's, it's hard to put this in a problem or in a pain that they mm. want to make a faster decision. Mm. Probably they want to be just safe and fine. Like just don't want to have stress <laughs> so who wants stress <laughs> yeah and that's and that's probably and that's probably then the, the challenge to to figure out what's the desire you can fulfill from the employee mm. that like he is motivated and cool with that to make decisions because it's like the, the famous mindset shift mm. uh, which makes sense if you have only people which do what they tell the told to do like for example soldiers And then you put them out and say, hey, you figure it out their own. It's like the opposite of what they did before. So, um, but yeah, probably you, you know this problem. Yeah, and I mean, there's no homogenous answer to yeah. that because, of course, each individual in an organization um, is different and some really like to have more responsibility and yeah. others others don't yeah. in many organizations there are some people who say i want to understand our strategy better because yeah. then i can prioritize my work properly and be more efficient and i want to be efficient for my organization and others just want to be told what to do and that's that's just normal to have this mixture and probably it's a good thing to have yeah. this mixture I'm, i'm not sure about good or bad here but it's it's just just what we face um The other thing is that in an organizational context, I think it's important to find this balance between what the individuals want and what's good for the company. Yeah. Because, of course, the individuals are there because the company has a purpose to fulfill, a product they, they want to, to sell or stand for a service or something. So um, it's not possible to place the individual needs above the company yeah right what i'm not saying is that um, the individual needs don't matter on the contrary so it's it's very important to look at company ethics and values so what does the company stand for which rights which freedoms which duties that does each individual have but i think where where we would face a serious problem is when we said okay if not If, if the individuals in this company don't want the change, then we don't do it. Because if it's necessary for the companies to survive, that would be a, a bad choice in the long yeah. term, right? Yeah. So, yeah, so at the end, like a company always wants to make money. That's like the main existence for capitalism companies. It's the yeah, only, for capitalist companies. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's the only reason why they exist. They exist to make money. Otherwise, they have no reason to exist and 
at least in this uh, economical structure. It's for profit companies, for organizations, for mm -hmm. non-profit organizations, probably not. Mm -hmm. um, and then you say probably the, the values, what's important for them should be underlined under that and say, okay, for us it's important that and that. And everyone needs to agree or need to be aware of that, that this is their, their way to go. What I always find difficult is to implement values in the daily life. Like mm. it's too abstract normally. Mm. Like we want to deliver good service or we want to be fast or be perfect or like don't do mistakes or something. Mm. So how, how do you do this in your, implement this in your daily life if mm. this is the value of the company and not probably the value of you as a person. As an individual. Yeah, that's a, a very important question and an interesting one because um, for the value to really be strong and alive, I believe it needs to kind of look and feel different every day. Right? So it's not something, sta something static. For example, if a company value were quality, yeah. right? We can define quality, we can define um, uh, numbers that underlie our, uh, the difference element of our definition and so on. But if we um, then only stick to the numbers and say, well, that's what we do, then it doesn't feel very alive, right? So in order for uh, employees of a company or the customers to feel that value, what we need are employees who every day ask themselves, how can I bring this value to life today? And in my experience, what works here is to make a connection between the individual values and the company values. So really, this question of what is my way of living that shared value is allowed. It's not about everybody has to adjust to the company value and make that their own personal value. That's not how I believe things work, but I believe things work um, when we really make this connection. So for example, if uh, one of my personal values was, for example, um, sustainability, I could say, okay, I bring this color to quality, to what we as a company define as quality, because I look at the aspect of quality that's connected to sustainability and then some others bring some other qualities into the mix and of course it's important to also define the borders of what what is meant by quality and what not otherwise it just becomes arbitrary but um, values can be a very flexible and um, kind, kind of a glue for a company a kind of social glue within a company that um, keeps people together the focus um, of the work is defined but not too strictly so that it can breathe and, and, and change um, with everyday needs and everyday life. So if you say it should display in different forms on day to day, so one of the goals should be to display them to the whole company on a regular basis. That's what I would probably say. If we say, okay, we have these values and our person, our employees have this value, then probably it makes sense to to show how this value is displayed in certain ways and not only in numbers. Mm. We produce this amount of, of products that's boring. Mm. More like what, what else of ways 
the people found to display them. Yeah, that's a very important point. I believe you're right. Um, different different formats can can work here, just depending on how the company ticks. But um, you could have a team meeting and start it by kind of sharing examples of how um, a certain value has been lived in the week before and just share kind of success stories of either customers who were happy with the quality uh, of a certain yeah. product or my personal efforts to improve the quality or I saw a colleague doing something special that um, helps us to strengthen our values, something like that. So we mainly work because we need money, because we need to survive. That's like we need to kind of survive day to day. But if we look at the difference between uh, non-profits and uh, profit companies, uh, what would you say are the main difference and what can they learn from each other culture-wise? Hmm. Yeah, so, so I realize like the, the main assumption uh, that you have with the money, I'm, I'm just not sure about it. I'm not saying it's wrong, I'm just not, not sure about it. I think it's super important to earn money. I do too. Uh, it's important yeah. for me to, to pay my rent. Uh, at the same time, I see that more and more companies combine this need of, of earning money and just kind of being part of the, of the system also on, on that level with some more generic uh, or more, more intrinsic purpose um, so that not only the money becomes an important part of the organization, but also the meaning that's connected to it. So what I see is that also in profit-driven companies, more and more employees will look for the meaning in the work mm -hmm. or companies even are being founded because um, they want to foster a certain purpose uh, or because of a societal need. So, for example, um, here in Berlin, there was this lady, I just can't think of her name, who founded um, the supermarket that doesn't use packaging. Yeah. Uh, and that, that was a driver, right? So she said, okay, too much uh, waste, too much packaging, let's do something about it. But in order to do something about it, I need a profitable, uh, sustainable organization. So it must work on the money side, of course. But the, the real purpose and the meaning can be intrinsic part of the mix. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, good example. So... Um... I'm guessing that the money is only there to fulfill your your um, general needs, mm. like housing, food, mm. the general surviving. And um, but how do you make how do you make sure that like the the other purpose is there? Like mm. how many people do you think go to work and have a purpose there? It's a good question. I, I don't know. Uh, I know many. Yeah. I know many for whom that's true. I also know many uh, individuals who go for work for the money and that's fine. Yeah. You know, because we can have a, a different meaning and purpose in the rest of our life. That's entirely okay. But also, um, for example, I worked with a um, um, company that um, is uh, the water provider here in Berlin. Um, and... I guess that many people there really go there because they want to provide great water for the city. Yeah. And that's beautiful. And of course, it's important for them to also earn their salary. But I was um, 
deeply moved uh, when working with um, with that team who have their shifts and clean the water. You know, they, they check the quality of the water, the bacteria, the different minerals that are in there. And um, it's really, uh, it's part of what, what's important to them about the job. They, they just, they wouldn't want to do another job for the another same job, money, yeah. you know. Yeah. 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 So I guess there are, there are many truths there. Uh, it's not just one answer. But coming back to the to the question you you asked before about the difference between um, non profit or um, NGOs and um, rather profit driven companies, I think there there are big cultural differences between both. Uh, I'd say you're right with that assumption. What would you say are the differences? Is there automatically a purpose in the non profit companies because of the the profit? Like, <laughs> we talk about real non profit, so maybe mm -hmm. there's like also. Vereine, clubs, which don't pay anything, yes. so to make it easier, yeah. non-profit yeah. no like voluntary work. Like, exactly. Mm -hmm. So, and if mm -hmm. uh, if our theory is right, that would mean that the voluntary work is automatically driven by purpose because mm. money is not there. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. I'd say that's the point. If I work as a volunteer for whatever organization. I guess I do it because I believe it's right, because I think it's meaningful and I make a difference that I want to make. So something that's connected to my personal value system or the purpose I have uh, in my life, some things that I want to change in society. And um, what I get from my work is this meaning and probably also, in many cases, um, connection. So connection to other individuals who also share their free time in order to change things in that way. So friendships can develop from, from there. And that's in the center for voluntary work. Um, the, the relations, the human relations and the meaning of the work itself. That, that's what I would say. Whereas in the center um, of profit work, um, is the product, is the, is the earning money, is the security, the safety that's connected to it in many cases. And then now we have a big field in the middle between both and I believe even a growing field yeah. um, because um, that's just, yeah, I guess it's just answering the needs of our times. So you think like in the future uh, the purpose of work will grow and grow and will be more present and more important I believe so, yes, I believe so. And in Germany we have a um, even um, a group trying to start a new or to, to create a new form for companies, which is a, like purpose company. There's no legal form for these companies yet. So um, there are even some people trying to create a new legal entity to support this kind of work. Okay. So how does, uh, should the legal entity look like? Like, what's their goal? Yeah, okay, now uh, I, I'm not able to answer that. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, but uh, but it, it reflects the trend, okay. right? Yeah. So, so there are so many people now who really are looking at this problem of, okay, we are not here only for money, but we need money for it to work. We are not just volunteers. Um, it's something else, and we need to have a proper entity to reflect that. Yeah. So that, that supports our, our argument that there's a trend towards that. And also... Um, Just uh, like what, what HR managers encounter in the interviews, right? So um, people who are looking for jobs, 
very often um, are looking for more than just a stable salary. Yeah. So other values um, come into play here. And some companies try to answer that by giving employees more free time, like a free Friday or reduced amount of work so that they can do volunteer work yeah. in the, in the um, remainder of the time. Um, or really by, um, by, by putting into the center um, the purpose of the organization itself, if it does have a, a higher purpose than just making profit. Yeah. How would you say uh, a person finds their values or their their purpose? Mm. So, especially if you imagine you are 18 years old mm. and you listen to this podcast, <laughs> um, there's a high chance that probably a young person can't really mm. say something about this topic. So, it's not so clear about this topics. Yeah. How would you say is the best way to go forward? Hmm. So I have I have two different answers here because one and one is easier because I work on values um, that's just part of my job and also on personal values. So when we talk about company values, we always start the reflection with the reflection on personal values. So there are tools out there that can help you reflect your personal values and uh, be a good start for you to to find out what's important to you. But I want to give a second answer that's not tool-based. And in that case, I'd say reflect on what's really important to you. And you can do that because that's a value. Uh, a value is uh, something that really matters to me. If it's important to me, it's a value. That's like the easiest definition for value there is. And you can also find out what's important to you If you look at what you don't have and what's painful. So, for example, um, if you feel very sad and ask yourself, okay, why am I so sad? Okay, maybe um, there's not enough um, meaning in what I'm studying right now. So I should find out what I really want to do with my life. I might not want to study. I might do something practical. So I'm spending my time in a way that's depressing And by, by looking at these like big feelings of sadness or anger, you can find out what really is important to you and um, reframe it into a positive value that you're missing right now, that's lacking in your life right now. If missing values mean uh, anger and sadness, does positive values, and like if the values are there, means happiness? Um, so just to, just to clarify, the sadness is not the, the value, right? Yeah, it's, it's just, just a, a, a trigger. Yeah, for yeah, mis yeah. It's, it's missing. Yeah, I'd say yes. Yeah. So if I like spend an evening with friends and I'm really happy um, during that time, time flies. It's good. Then I might just find out that um, either like we were laughing a lot, humor might be a value, or um, I enjoyed the evening because. Um, we were um, like creating something together, then a value might be just creativity or it's simply about the people and then it's human connection and I need connection. And uh, then connection might be one of my personal values. Where can I find my listeners a list of values? <laughs> um, there is a website with a big list of values. Um, let me just check it. Yeah, cool. Um, look at it. So um, I guess if you just um, Google 
value systems or list of values, you'll probably find different sets, many different sets of values. Um, a German website is wertesysteme.de and I believe it even does have an English section um, with a list of values that you can check. But I just say list of values and you should probably in an alphabetical order find um, between 50 and 500 uh, of the most important values there are. Yeah, and then probably try them out, uh, check what, what you feel when you read them and explore yeah. it with the, with the... Yeah, good idea to check for the resonance, what sounds right. And um, you, can, you can do that by first um, like ticking all the values you think are important and then narrowing them down a little bit. Um, because if you have if you uh, define too many values as important for yourself, you'll just lose track of them. Yeah. So um, my recommendation is to narrow them down to something between three and nine. <laughs> to three and nine. <laughs> Would you say like uh, not knowing what your values are is like one of the most uh, missed missed features or missed strengths of of people? Because probably I. I would wonder if all the people around me know their values. I really think it's a blind spot, yes. Um, and also in HR work, because HR departments often look at personalities and personal strengths, right? There are strengths finders, personality assessments, and so on. And they're, of course, all important for how we work together. But values um, touch our core of motivation. So when I know what my values are, I also know how I can motive, how I can find motivation for everything I do. Um, because if I'm in a place where I cannot live uh, my personal values, probably motivation will go down drastically and the other way around. So, yes, I'd say it's a big blind spot um, in companies, but also for individuals, because it helps us to lead a very conscious life. If, if I know what my values are and I can adjust my actions accordingly, then I will probably more fulfilled and find just more meaning in my everyday interactions. And you're probably more happy. It's also helpful. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's right. So, um, also one topic I think it's really underrated or it's, the potential is not always seen are like cross-functional teams. Mm -hmm. uh, what is your experience there? Like, what are things which help cross-functional teams to work better together? Mm. For a cross-functional team to work well, I'd say the most important thing is that they know why they exist. Okay. So, why does this team exist? Why do people come together and what do they work on? And if that's clear, then the team can define how they want to achieve their goals, uh, how they want to, like what they want to agree on. And then they can probably really profit um, from each other's strengths and knowledge, because that's, that's of course the asset of a cross-functional team that people bring different perspectives and have different skills and so on. But if the, if the goal or the actual um, essence of the, of the team's purpose is not clear, then um, conflicts can easily arise because people have different perspectives, right? And one thing to do if you have a different perspective is just to argue about what's right. That's just what people naturally, almost naturally seem to do yeah? when, when they have a different view on what's important. 
But if it's clear why these people work together, they can align their perspectives and they know what to argue about and what the, what the um, benefit of that argument might be. So uh, probably a goal is always there. Like I would wonder if there's a cross-functional team that doesn't have a goal. But the question is if there's always a purpose. So probably goal is like, yeah, deliver this new product and this mm. and this means. So, but you say purpose is always also important to underline the goal to make it work? I'm, I guess the purpose and the goal on such a level can be quite similar in many, okay. in many ways. Uh, and I'd say if a team comes together in order to deliver or to, to invent a new product, that's clear enough, okay. um, right? So they would just um, need to be sure, okay, what are the core qualities of that product and that we want to invent? And why is each of us here? What do we bring? And um, knowing that the difference in people is valuable and not feeling threatened by this differentness, I think... If, if such a culture can be established, that would be very helpful. Because what can happen is that people feel threatened by uh, the perspective of, of others or by their point of view. And then conflicts or dynamics can arise that are not about the product anymore, not about the teamwork, but about personal insecurities. So this threshold is something that the team must take yeah. uh, in order to be successful. What I realize is one of the main challenges of cross-functional teams is also the communication. Because mm. normally all the different positions have different way to say stuff and different way to communicate. So to understand each other is like also one of the biggest challenges. Because every everyone like the person thinks they don't understand what they want, so they talk more, and the other person thinks they don't understand what they want, so they talk more, and so <laughs> it's getting a bit uh, messy. But yeah, if if you bring uh, if you can align them, so probably alignment is then the main understanding of a goal and of a purpose. Then good things can happen because they can do more than. Just people which are all the same. Cool. Um, what would you say are your favorite books? <laughs> many, 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 many. Um, um, where to start? So, one amazing book I read last year is called um, Das Denken zum Tanzen bringen. Okay. So, Who wrote it? Do you remember? Yes. I can tell. Oh, probably I, I can Google it. Yeah, you can. Um, it's a very philosophical book, and actually, it's about movement and change or transformation. Because Wandel in German is a word that kind of captures both okay. uh, uh, change and transformation. And I find it very beautiful because the author, his name is Rudolf zur Lippe. He's just watching. Um, things around him in nature, for example, the transformation of the seasons or how birds move together in their constellations and so on, and describing that in like with very deep and beautiful words. So I found it very inspiring to read that book. Um, 
another series of book I just found uh, at the same time very entertaining uh, and also inspiring was uh, His Dark Materials okay. by uh, Palman. And um, actually, it's I guess they are um, written for, for teenagers. Um, but what, what he explores there is consciousness. And he's translating consciousness into imagery and um, it becomes the center of, uh, of, this, of this series of novels. So very entertaining, but also inspiring read. Very light, uh, as compared to the more philosophical book I book, mentioned before. Yeah. yeah. Cool. Yeah. So you read m mostly in this direction of like philosophically conscious-related books. Also, I, I really like reading about um, everything related to behavior, habits, okay. how we create habits, for example. Um, there's a good book I read last year, it's called Atomic Habits, which explains like if we want to change a habit, how we can approach that, because there are strategies that are more or less helpful. Um, or about digitization. Um, so I'm, I'm, I, I read all, <laughs> all across the, the topics that, that, that I find interesting. Yeah. So how, which habits do you have? Ooh. Which habits do I have? That's a very good question. I know which habits I want to have but don't have. <laughs> For example, uh, meditate every day and I'm kind of still experimenting with habits, a stack of habits that will finally make it automatic for me to do that. I haven't achieved that yet. But I guess one habit... Um, I have is the morning routine of just getting up, sitting up in bed, stretching and so on. And then the, the time until I have drunk a cup of tea passes almost automatically, right? Yeah. Um, and actually that was quite some achievement because before I drank tea, I drank coffee. And to change that habit of drinking coffee automatically and many cups a day was really hard to change. So I really needed to get behind uh, uh, the, the triggers for that habit and so on. Yeah, habits are kind of interesting. I think like also the main issue is there is um, you should have a good problem to solve. Mm. And um, so if after five days meditation, there's no real trigger there that you want that, mm why you should force yourself um, <laughs> probably it's something more you want to have some some time to relax some time to think well, it's a different way and you can also accomplish that in a different way like, that's right yeah that's, think deep about what why you want yeah. that for yeah so that's what i try to do like i try to think okay what i want to accomplish um, mm. what do i need what's the problem and then find the best way to figure it out and sometimes come from outside sometimes come from inside but mm. other way it doesn't make sense all the time to force you in a certain direction it's not always true like there's also a really cool book called um, The War of Art from Stephen Pressfield uh, it's a really interesting book like he writes that like creativity for example in writing doesn't mean that you only write if you feel like it It means that you write every day, it doesn't matter if you feel like it or not, because that's your purpose, that's where you want to go, and you need to have the consistency to push that through. 
So I would say this is true there on this side as well, but it doesn't mean that you need to do it for all the other stuff as well. Mm -hmm. Like it doesn't mean that every habit you want to have you need to push through. I'm guessing, to be honest, I'm guessing that like it's only important for your main goals in life. Like it should be only one goal. Priority is a single thing, not priorities. Hmm. doesn't make sense like priority is singular so you should have only one priority go for there push for there and the rest probably uh, let it flow on the side and my my last question is um, if you could go back in time to your 18 year old self hmm. what would you tell her yeah that's a good question I think I'd tell myself to to really practice listening to myself first. And I guess that's not a good recommendation for everybody, but for myself it would be because um, for a long time I had the habit to listen to others more than to myself, right? I think people are different in that matter, but um, I found it easier to believe other people's perspective of the world and of what's right than my own. And if I could give myself this tip, like to my 18-year-old self, uh, yeah, that I think would prove helpful. How do you listen to yourself? I listen to myself by really um, focusing inward and feeling listening, tuning in to what happens inside. And then I can bring that in contact with my surroundings, the people I talk to. Um, and that, that's basically it already. So you can do it all the time, anytime? In theory. <laughs> <laughs> okay, cool. Yeah, that's, that's one of the hardest things to to be always able to figure out what you feel and what you think mm. like that's super useful but it's especially uh, especially if something else happens it's it's mm -hmm. probably one of the hardest things you can do it's a practice yeah. it, it, it's a practice yeah. yes so don't probably you practiced it first at home alone and then you you brought in consistently or was it just a, a gift you just need to access and figuring out that's there it, no I, I believe it's a matter of practice um, especially when like in large groups or when the context is really messy or when I'm talking to somebody who has a very different perspective to my own because I want to listen to what the other person is saying but still stay in contact to myself and not lose my perspective because we can only have a proper conversation when I keep my perspective. When I just accept the perspective of the other person in the room, mine is lost. Who will take that one then, right? So um, this responsibility for, yeah, standing in for who I am, right? And at the same time... Um, being in contact with the other people in, in the room and with their perspectives. Because I know, of course, that my perspective is only my perspective, but then it is my perspective. So um, so there's an, an interesting dynamic there between being serious 
about what I feel and what I bring to the room and at the same time not being serious about it at all. Mm. And that can I can only practice that with other people around. Yeah. So you're still able to think about the other perspective and um, like what I do normally, I, I check like um, what can I learn from it or something. Mm. It's always hard to say, it depends always, but um, it's it's helpful to understand the other person and to know what they think and or like try to understand what they think and feel. And then also see what how it could be applied to someone else or so if you could take something it doesn't mean you can always take something it's just um, a check back yeah i like the point because it comes back to again after you listen to the other person right listening to yourself and seeing okay how does this kind of reflect with with me um, if you have the impulse to change something about how you approach things then again, that's occurred within you or out of the space between the two of you when you were talking together. Um, so it doesn't mean you uh, that, that you take everything from what you heard, but you see, okay, what of what I heard and what happened in this conversation um, will I take with me? And that's again like a result of you listening to yourself and to your reaction. And in order to allow that reaction, you must, of course, in between, let go of yourself and be open to what what happens in the in between and in the in the contact with the other person. Because if I stick to my perspective all the time and try not to forget it, how could I be open to what occurs um, between um, me and the other person there? Yeah, mm. it's always a resonance thing mm. at the end. What resonates? Mm. Cool. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thank you.